It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh. I'm here with Zerlina Maxwell. And we are joined right now on day one of the Derek Chauvin trial in Minneapolis by the man we turn to for all of our legal analysis, Danny Savalos. Danny, thank you so much for joining us today. So, uh, Danny Savalos. Yes, Hi, I'm here. I'm actually, doing? it's me. I'm doing the headlines. <laughs> then I'm going to do the weather at five. Right? That's and then so I've got funny. traffic at 10. That's what Hannah told me. Danny, Danny I would watch Perfect. the weather if you did it. You have, you have a good voice. Absolutely. For, for weather. Mm-hmm. Um, We've but got a low pressure because... system coming in. <laughs> um, so Derek Chauvin trial day one. Uh, we began the trial yesterday uh, with opening statements uh, from both the prosecution and the defense. Uh, Danny, as the resident legal and uh, expert here, but also a defense attorney, uh, I should note. Um, and you are the rare uh, person who can present the defense arguments without upsetting me. So <laughs> that's why I love having you. It's true. Um, I try. So, <laughs> no, it, it's, it's, it's true. I mean, defense is a, a, a part of the Constitution. And so it's, it's extremely important that um, no matter who the defendant is, they have a robust defense. Um, and we need to understand the arguments that def- the defense is going to make in this trial. It's very important. So break down for us... The pro- let's start with the prosecution, because the prosecution, there was new information that we learned yesterday that we did not know before, um, including that it was not eight minutes and 46 seconds. It was actually nine minutes and 29 seconds uh, that George Floyd was under the knee of Officer Derek Chauvin. So break down for us the presentation by the prosecution uh, and then sort of the defense uh When you have a powerful piece of evidence, uh, whether you're the prosecution or the defense, you use it and you use it often. And in this case, the prosecution knows their strongest piece of evidence is video. Lots of video, not just the video we've seen so far, because there's a lot of video that the public has not seen that I think we're going to start seeing in this trial. But the video I'm talking about is the one that most of us have seen images of. Most of us have seen snippets of it. But I admit... I'm included in that giant group of people who I believe did not watch all nine minutes from beginning to end. And that was powerful stuff. So powerful, I confess, I had to leave my post. I found some reason to get up and get coffee, running the risk that NBC would come back to me and I would miss a hit. I just couldn't watch it. It was that it really was that painful. It's the same thing with Eric Garner. I can't watch somebody going from, you know, please help me, please help me to expiring right in front of me or, you know, uh, uh, beginning the process of expiring. And it's just it was awful. And, you know, the prosecution knows that is powerful evidence. The jury doesn't have Mm -hmm. the luxury that I do of standing up and leaving the room. The jury has to sit there and listen. And I have to tell you, I mean, they didn't have to do much more than that than play that video because, you know, the defense will argue all kinds of different things. And I'll talk about that. But nothing takes away from that image of Chauvin with that appearing to look so nonchalant with his glasses on his head. I mean, a picture is worth a thousand words. And hearing 
hearing the bystanders, you know, if you saw only the images on the nightly news, hearing the bystanders, one of which testified, say, get off him. He's, you know, he's not doing well. You have that uh, sort of you have a the bystander takes the role kind of of a juror, maybe who would have been there saying, oh, my gosh, you know, get off him. And nobody is listening. I mean, whatever you thought you had seen, you hadn't seen operator. That That's testimony, right. I thought, was, was yeah. re- I mean, that was, that was, I've never seen anything like that. I didn't, re- so the 911 operator had an open feed to the incident because there was an incident. She actually thought her screen had frozen. Chauvin Amazing. stayed in place so long. Um, and then she did something that she had never done in her entire career, which was call the police on the police. Like Amazing. she saw on that feed that something had gone very wrong. And she called police to deal with it, even though there were police at the at the scene. I, I, have we ever heard nine eleven nine one one testimony like that? You know, normally the nine one one operator is at the very beginning, and it's really not a consequential yeah. witness because the nine one one operator is really just authenticating a nine one one call. Right. And sometimes the defense doesn't even have any questions for them because you know what's the point? But not in this case. In this case, the nine one one operator, although not not exactly a sworn patrol officer. And the defense made that point, and they had to make that point, uh, that this is not her area of expertise. But I got to tell you, a 911 operator hears it all. You know, they hear and have seen it all. So I think the jury didn't miss that point, that here you have somebody who's used to, I mean, these are people who are trained to field chaos. They're essentially triage. And so they have to have uh, nerves of steel to do the job. They've heard it all. Uh, you you often hear them on the call. They're as calm as as anyone while chaos is erupting on the other end of the line. So here you have a 911 operator that was actually bothered by what the police were doing. Powerful evidence. And then you combine that with Mr. Williams's evidence, uh, a witness who you can hear. By the way, you know, you, you look at the rules of evidence and you say, you know, hey, what's the point of calling this Mr. Williams? You can hear what he's saying on the video, but oh my gosh, now you basically get this non-expert expert testimony of a guy who's an MMA fighter who's giving basically expert opinion that, oh, that was a, you know, a blood choke. Yeah. That was something that is, mm-hmm. is very dangerous. And the prosecution did a very good job eliciting that testimony, which otherwise could have just been uh, redundant. Mm. That's a really interesting point, Danny. And and rules of evidence are yeah. really confusing and annoying. Super confusing, ac- yes. <laughs> accurate, accurate, accurately depicted on Law & Order. It's helpful to watch Law & Order if you want to know more about that. I agree. Um, yeah, it's actually very accurate on Law & Order. That's one of the only accurate things about Law & Order is the objections and the... And the evidence uh, references are are accurate. So so let's well, and through... the attractiveness of the yes, the criminal thank system you. And all the yeah, there yes, there are obviously. not that many beautiful people just... in the justice system. Let me tell you. I mean, we are not. We are a bunch of trolls compared to what's oh on Law and Order. Oh my god! I'm cracking up. <laughs> so it's important. It's important so, to be able to laugh. Now that we understand, the prosecution obviously needed to lay out. I mean, you have a video. This is one of those cases where there's a video. It would be very different if this had all happened not on video and we had to get people to come in and testify uh, as to what they saw without the video proof. But obviously the prosecution um, utilized the video um, and simply authenticated uh, the, you know, the perspectives of the witnesses um, who you can hear in the video, um, which is which is critical. So let's tick through the defense. What did the defense come mm-hmm. up with in terms of? that he should not be uh, convicted 
uh, of this these three particular charges? What is their rationale? Yeah, the defense wants to pivot away from the video. They want to get the attention away from the video. And really, the, the main defense, and they gave a forecast of this, and it wasn't a surprise. It comes down to two major thrusts. Uh, point one is going to be, and this is the Hail Mary. If they, can, if they can establish this, it's a defense to all the charges. And it's one word, it's causation, legal causation. And they're going to argue that Derek Chauvin, no matter what he did with his knee on the back, it did not cause the death of George Floyd. And within that are several subsets. Point one will be fentanyl, not uh, not the knee, caused the death. Uh, fentanyl, George Floyd had, I believe, 11 nanograms per milliliter of fentanyl in his blood, and they will have no problem finding experts to testify that much lower quantities can be fatal. Now, obviously, there are all kinds of other factors when it comes to any kind of overdose or uh, or any kind of heart attack caused by drugs. The other drug that was present in his system was methamphetamines. Now, at 19 milligrams per uh, or 19 nanograms per milliliter, that is not a fatal dose. It's it's way low. But they may be able to get scientific evidence in that that amount of methamphetamines combined with bad health or other drugs could cause death. And then subset three would be George Floyd's poor health. They're going to make a case. They're going to put George Floyd's health on trial. They're going to say that he had advanced arter mm -hmm. arterial sclerotic disease. Uh, and I may be butchering some of the terminology, excuse me, but the um, but they're going to argue things like he had COVID. And now we're getting sort of to the lesser arguments, but front and center is going to be fentanyl caused the death and possibly methamphetamines and uh, and other uh, and other bad health. Now, major pro now the the response the prosecution will have to that is that in Minnesota, as in many states, you don't have to be it doesn't have to be the sole cause. If what Chauvin did set the events in motion, if it was oh, a substantial okay. factor in causing the death, then that's enough for causation. It doesn't have to be, you know, they don't have to uh, show that the knee in the back was the only cause of death. As right. long as it was a substantial factor, that's enough for legal causation in Minnesota. Uh, so that is a very big that is a very big reply mm -hmm. to the defense's theory. And the second major defense uh, prong is going to be that the uh, maximal restraint technique used is not a felony, it's not uh, Im imminently dangerous, and it's not even criminally negligent because it's something that's taught. It's something that's part of, and it exists in, I looked at the, the manual, I think it's uh, been replaced now, but the manual at the time provided for the maximal restraint technique. So, you, you know, I ask you as potential jurors, and I know that you, you folks may already have an opinion on this case, but consider the, the standard beyond a reasonable doubt. So that means yeah. uh, the, the question becomes, if I show you that this particular restraint technique was taught, was trained, was, was you know, part of the instruction manual, part of the police manual, uh, can you say you don't have a reasonable doubt about guilt if it was something that was trained? Now, can, the prosecution has a response to that. that Go ahead. So, Mike, Mike, I've I've heard this about the 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 police manual situation, and this isn't it's not a, it's not bad because he was trained to do it, which in my mind makes it worse. But of course, does it say to use that kind of restraint for that kind of time in the police manual? Exactly right. So now now you're getting into the prosecution's reply. They're going to say that look, okay. even if the maximal restraint technique and the hobble uh, restraint, which is really just like hog tying someone. Uh, and it's something that right. is is approved. Uh, even if those things are approved, it was misapplied and applied in a dangerous way. It was not correctly applied. And it wasn't 
It wasn't warranted in this situation. That's going to be the prosecution's reply. And they're going to have a lot of help from that video because they're going to, you know, the jury's going to look at that and say, you know, what, what amount of force was needed for this guy? He's not, in this video, he's not doing anything. And then, of course, the defense's re reply to that's going to be, well, you have to look at the whole picture. There were things going on before that may have made the officers concerned. Uh, there was different kinds of resistance. There was passive resistance, as in I'm not moving. There was actual, you know, uh, active resistance, In uh, although I've never seen any video of that. So I'd be interested to see yeah, how they get I that in. So, uh, so, I mean, as you can see, everybody seems to have a response for the other's evidence. And it's going to be a real, you know, I have to say the defense with that video alone has an uphill climb. It's going to be a real challenge. But if they can establish that Derek Chauvin did not medically or legally cause the death, then that is a defense to all charges. So one of the can things that... Can you really that... say the defense has an uphill climb when it's a, a cop? I mean, like, we have, like, 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 the prosecution has the uphill climb, right? No, I don't think, well, they do in the sense that, you know, the presumption of innocence and they have the highest burden in the law, which is beyond a reasonable doubt. But, you know, that's the case in every single prosecution. But you right. are right that when you look at police as defendant cases, I think the reason so many of them go to trial and don't plead out is that they know that they have a chance of a jury, of a juror, thinking, oh, well, you know, this is a guy, he wasn't out robbing a bank, he's out doing his job, and, you know, he made a bad judgment call. It's not the same as a, you know, a serial killer. It's somebody who's, you know, who has, who has probably protected my home, who's out there putting their life on the line. And, you know, that, that works with jurors, whether spoken or unspoken. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to say uh, whether it's a real thing for each individual juror, but, you know, in, in the whole, in, in the aggregate, it does seem that police get that slight benefit of the doubt. No, I think that's that's a really important point. I mean, that's not written anywhere on paper. On paper, this is a very strong case for the prosecution. There's a video of the whole thing. Um, but you're right about sort of the, you know, what happens when you go to a jury, which is why a lot of cases settle because people don't want to go to a jury. But I suppose right. in this instance, your point is police are like, we're going to go to the jury because jurors historically – um, have given police officers the benefit of the doubt. In terms of um, the the uh, point you made about causation, I think it's probably a good idea to unpack that a little bit just because sure. it's like it's seven tricky. months of law school uh, <laughs> in the first year, and then obviously you have to do that in every single case. So um, once you learn how to do that <laughs> in the first year. Um, so so uh, speak to sort of, Okay, you're you're gonna. It's it's a hard thing, but I guess try to explain causation to the not legal educated <laughs> to, to me among us. <laughs> yes, um, and 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 why sort of this case turns on whether or not, to your point, it was the fentanyl and heart condition versus Derek Chauvin's knee that was the cause um, yep. of George Floyd's death because that's where causation. The case is is a really, up. really tricky concept because, uh, you know, it's, it's easy to mix it up with correlation. It's easy to mix it up with, you know, just leaving it at cause and fact, because you could argue that, you know, the a cause was the initial stop of the car. You could argue that had he never been pulled out of the car you know, that he was sitting in in the first place, George Floyd would still be alive. Then you could argue that if George Floyd had never gone to that store, he would still be alive. And that's probably true. So you have this kind of this strange idea of cause and fact that really wouldn't amount to legal causation. I mean, there are all kinds of things. If he hadn't, then this wouldn't have happened. But 
legal causation is about whether or not in, in a death, uh, in a death case, in a homicide case, somebody caused the death. And so, for example, to use a, a ridiculous example, you know, if uh, there's evidence that all the knee in the back would have caused is a bruise on the back and nothing else, then, you know, it, it's, the causation case becomes much weaker. But you could, but if that knee on the back causing only a bruise also raised the stress level of George Floyd and then set into motion his cardiac, uh, his cardiac arrest because of his advanced heart disease and his, uh, and his other, uh, his, uh, you know, whatever he had in his, his system, then that is still causation. The key is whether or not the, uh, the knee in the back was the genesis, the, you know, it set everything in motion that caused the death. If it had no effect on his death, it's something that was mean, it was in a maybe it was inappropriate, even if it was, even if it was against uh, training, uh, if it didn't cause the death, if the defense can show that they, that George Floyd would have died irrespective because and I suspect they're going to make a case. This is going to be their case. George Floyd gets stopped. George Floyd panics, as many people holding drugs do and tries to ingest the drugs instead of getting caught with them. This happens fairly often. And in doing so, he ingested fentanyl. And fentanyl is incredibly dangerous. He made a bad decision. And the defense is going to argue that George Floyd was going to die the minute he saw the police and threw a, a, a tablet, whatever it was, into his mouth. That's going to be their argument. And if they can adduce scientific evidence and actual evidence that they saw a pill in his mouth or something like that, then they have a chance, uh, especially if they can show. I mean, you know, if I can, if, if I establish to you you know, assuming that you're a juror whose mind, you know, is is uh, is, you know, free and clear. If I was able to establish to you that George Floyd with uh, 11 uh, nanograms per milliliter of fentanyl in his blood, uh, if I establish that and then show that fatalities occur at anywhere from three to six nanograms per, per milliliter. So he might have been at least three times uh, a fatal dosage. Does that create doubt in your mind? Maybe not your mind, but does it create doubt in another one of those jurors' minds? Right. Has that been established that he ingested drugs, or is that a theory? So there's, there is some evidence. I don't know how much is coming in, but there have been reports that uh, somebody saw white substance in his mouth. There have been reports that, um, that uh, at least I, th I believe I saw it in one of the motions filed, that his uh, mouth was foaming. And of course, that could go either way. You know, people do lots of things. You know, sure. this is something I argue in DUI cases all the time. Police will come up to a car with somebody they've never met, don't know this person, and then talk about how they have glassy eyes and slurred speech. Maybe that person always has glassy eyes. Maybe they're just right. a slurred speech. Right. I've, got, I've got a cousin, man. You'd think he's drunk all the time. He slurs his speech. <laughs> what can I tell you? But, but, you know, if he ever gets stopped in the middle of the day, he's in trouble. But that's what police do. You know, they come up and they're trained to look for these things. But they don't know this person, and maybe he just has, you know, one of those people with foam on his mouth for some reason. Who knows? Foam. I, I don't know what a foamy mouth looks like, but I have seen people like I think Donald Trump famously did a press conference. He had a, you know, some kind of spittle oh, yeah. in the corner of his mouth. Yeah. Maybe that's what they're talking Marco about. Marco Rubio. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, so I mean, you know, that evidence could cut both ways. Uh, but you know, the defense is going to use that because all they have to do is create doubt. That's reasonable doubt. That's it. They don't need to create substantial doubt. They don't need to make it a 50-50 either or. They just need to create some reasonable doubt in the minds of the jurors. Hmm. Does that help, Jess? Because he just explained something yes. that's uh, no, very it, hard to understand, but he explained it in a way that I think everybody at home should understand. We'll be able to yeah, follow this no, trial and understand 
you know, what cases each side is making and, you know, the, the most important moments. I mean, when we have witnesses who come and say, we saw the white substance, that's going to be a moment to pay attention to. Definitely. Right. Do you see the, the, the racial history of the Minneapolis Police Department or Derek Chauvin himself playing any role at all in this trial? I, I don't know that the prosecution is going to go that route because let's say, for example, now remember, it, everything is inverted when a police officer is a defendant, everything. So it right. seems a little strange if the prosecution starts talking about the history of racially uh, in, racial injustice in policing and prosecution in Minneapolis when they're the prosecution. I mean, doesn't that sound a little weird uh, yeah. to say that, you know, look, this city yes. has a history of horrible prosecutions and horrible police work. Um, except me and my team here. I mean, that just that, right. that doesn't seem to make that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. I think the prosecution has a, a their their most powerful evidence is on a is really on a whatever a flash drive or whatever it's held on. I would have said a DVD in the old days, but it's a they have it. They play it. And uh, honestly, the, the case rises and falls on the video, not just that video, but all the other video. And I think not only the video that we've seen, but they're going to be able to make a powerful argument that there was a lot of indecision and really not caring about this person by the you know other officers there was a lot of standing around and not doing mm -hmm. anything while this went on and i think the other video is going to show that and i think that's going to be a real challenge for chauvin now what they're going to do is try and judo move that into saying look it was a volatile situation those same people who were yelling at us to get off were calling us bums we didn't know if this was going to turn into a riot we were nervous for our safety and, and you know that's that's sort of police training is that you know just maintain status quo until backup shows up. So, uh, you know, maybe that's going to be part of their argument. But I, I do think they have an uphill battle. Uh, I think this case got a lot of publicity. There's nobody, you know, even on TV, the image they show of Chauvin isn't his booking photo. It's the picture of him with his knee on the guy on, on George Floyd's yes, neck. Yes, it is. I right. mean, that's the photo they use. And they captured it in a frame. You know, look, that, that image is, is of him with like a, you know, I don't know if it's intentional or not, but it is a very unflattering kind of cocky looking uh uh, oh, uh you know face that that his hand is in his pocket his hand is in his, his pocket hand is in his pocket exactly yes, i mean it's exactly. like the and, hand in the know, pocket is everything. the thing that gets me um so in terms of the the three charges i think i guess the next question to help folks understand how to follow is to break down the sets of charges because i think um there's a manslaughter charge there's a murder two charge and there's a murder three charge um, yep. in, in the state of Minnesota um, that Derek Chauvin is facing. And I'm curious, I guess my question about the three charges is, you know, it's nine minutes and 29 seconds at, does it turn into murder two versus three at four, three minutes, four minutes, five minutes? At what point does it shift and become a more severe charge because I mean, he's it's nine minutes. So at what at what point could you have made a different decision? Um, um, I'm making an executive decision here. I'm telling producer Hannah cancel all the commercials because I love this topic and I'm going to <laughs> I'm going to talk about it. Uh, let's let's talk about the charges. The first okay. one is uh, murder. We'll just call it murder two, murder in the second degree. And that's what's traditionally called felony murder. And that is, and I say traditionally because we have this strange legal fiction where we say, look, there are a set of really dangerous felonies, burglary, arson, rape, robbery, kidnapping, that are so dangerous 
that if you do them, you might as well have wanted somebody to die. And that makes sense. If I set fire to a building, setting fire to a building is so dangerous that I should expect that someone could be in there or sleeping in there, and I should be charged with murder. The only complicating thing is that it is murder, and often first-degree murder, and, and sometimes capital murder, without the intent to kill. In fact, it can be murder with, with an express intent not to kill, right? So it's a strange legal fiction in, our, in American justice that we have this felony murder. It gets even more tricky when you use any of the other felonies that aren't the ones I mentioned. And in this case, they're using assault as the felony. And now this gets very philosophical, but if you use an assault crime for your predicate felony and felony murder, a defense attorney like me would argue that that's not really fair because that turns every bar fight into felony murder. Every punch in the face now becomes felony murder. Now, if you're a law and order person, great. But there are a lot of people who have done some dumb things and thrown a punch. And I don't know that it counts as felony murder if the guy, you know, trips over a banana peel and hits his head. It may be manslaughter. It may be something else. Mm -hmm. Felony murder is pretty darn serious. I mean, that's, you know, that is our most serious crime is murder. And that can sometimes be the most serious capital offense. So, okay, so that's felony murder with the predicate felony being assault. The, The government has to show that he committed an assault, an intentional act to cause somebody harm. Uh, then you have what's called depraved heart murder. That, that is the murder three, murder third degree. It's different. The elements are slightly different. The prosecution doesn't have to show a felony. They just have to show that he did something that was imminently dangerous to somebody else. And in this case, that's George Floyd. And so they're going to have to show that this knee in the back was something that's considered imminently dangerous, so dangerous that it evinces a depraved mind. This is not just mere negligence. This isn't just oops. This is, in law school, it's classically described as firing a gun into a crowd. Okay, it's true. I didn't intend to actually hit anybody. But firing a gun into a crowd is so stupid, so galactically evil, that I should have known somebody would die, and that's enough for murder. So that's why it's called depraved heart murder. And then, of course, manslaughter, the manslaughter he's charged with, is really just criminal negligence. So did he do something that fell below a standard of care? Criminal negligence is a heightened kind of negligence. But if he if he did something that just fell below a standard of care, and you can see already where the defense is going to go, they're going to say, well, no, he didn't do anything that fell below the standard of care because the standard of care was to use this maximal restraint technique. It's in the manual. And so that's going to be their defense. Maybe, strangely enough, for the lesser uh, defense, they might have the strongest argument. But, you know, look, this these are all tough charges to beat, no matter uh, how you slice them really good at explaining this, Danny. If you were my law school professor, I would have done much better. Carolina, I got to tell you, you know, I was so confused in law school. I always thought, my God, I wish somebody, you know, there were so many other smart people on the left and right of me that got it. I just wish there was a, you know, a, a professor for dummies like me. So I think that's how I try to <laughs> try to explain it. No, I think of my own self well, back in law school, not understanding it. Either. It is, you guys, I know. And the lawyers at home are like, oh my gosh, because you just explained like, you know, a few months of criminal several law legal principles <laughs> and and causation, you know, uh, wow. several months yeah. of torts. Um, and in, in, do, you, in, do we get a, do give out a certificate for this show? We should at least give out a certificate. I think we should. We should start. <laughs> <laughs> it was yes. so, I mean, the, yes. and this is so so the folks at home need to understand that what Danny just broke down is sort of this is what the jury will be. These are the questions the jury will be considering when they go back and deliberate, right? They're going to get all of the elements 
of the charges read out to them, and then they're going to have to use the facts that they've been hearing throughout the trial, and they're going to apply that to uh, the charges that, you know, the judge hands them on the paper and says, this is the charge, these are the charges, and these are the the elements needed to satisfy that. And if there's any reasonable doubt as to um, these facts meeting all of the elements, um, then that is that's not guilty. That's a not guilty. Any any one juror, right? That could be a hung jury, which was is essentially a mistrial. Um, in right, this which isn't great for the defense because no, they would try. No, it's not again. good. Right. No, you don't you don't want that either. Um, do you get the sense that you know the camera is is helpful? I mean, are you one of those people that feels like we should have cameras in all the courts? I mean, I I'm a big. You know, the Supreme Court definitely should have a camera. Transparency. I want cameras for transparency. But this is a this feels like the biggest trial since OJ, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I you know, the, the argument for cameras in the courtroom is exactly that transparency. I mean, it, it seems weird that we release recordings of the Supreme Court, but you just can't record it live and you can't see them. I mean, the idea is that everything's supposed to be public. I, I you know, public means we can see it. And, uh, you know, I think that's sometimes a bit of a fiction that the court's don't make things don't really want things to be public and i get it maybe judges don't want to be on camera but that's the job you took the argument against it also is that maybe people would behave differently for the camera and that would not be the best representation to the client i don't know about that i mean when i'm in court i'm freaked out whether there's a camera and freaked out whether or not there's no camera i mean i I have the same level of stress yeah either way so i i don't know i don't i don't agree with that i've always believed that Cameras in the courtroom uh, are appropriate. I, I don't see why they're not, but I do know there are good arguments to not have cameras in the courtroom. So I don't know. I mean, I think here's my theory. I think it's like marijuana, you know, little by little over 10, 20 years. I think we're going to start seeing more and more of them. Uh, who knows? Maybe even the feds, the federal courts will someday allow cameras in the courtroom. But I think little by little, you know, as all as cameras are everywhere, ubiquitous. Um, I think you might see a, uh, a a lessening of the strictures against cameras in the courtroom. I hope well, so. I, I think feel, transparency is uh, important. It is. It, People it need is. to know how this, these I, systems work. I mean, because you can't complain about them being unjust if nobody knows what's happening on the inside. <laughs> so, that's right. <laughs> no, I yeah, like, I'm, I, so I, I'm for transparency. I uh, I, I couldn't like agree more. I mean, transparency is a good thing. So I, I just want to say thank you to Danny Savalos for giving me my honorary uh, JD here. Um, this is a <laughs> yes. very exciting day for me. Um, I am ready to take my first cases. <laughs> well, congratulations. And don't forget, <laughs> don't forget a JD is technically a doctorate. So I would prefer yep. that you call me and Jess doctor from now on. Zerlina. Yes. No, All my right. dad said oh, that right, the other right. day. He was like, well, you got the, the Juris doctorate. And I'm like, yeah, but I can't even oh, that's call right. myself you a too, doctor. Right. Doctors are leaving. You're right. Exactly. My mom. My mom is the only doctor in the house. (laughs) She's the actual PhD. Take that, Doctor Sanjay Gupta. (laughs) It would have been in Shakespeare. It would have been the least relevant doctorate ever. (laughs) But um, but I'll take this instead. I will take my honorary degree. Danny, thank you so much for breaking this down for us. Please come back before this is over or as this ends to helpfully explain the rest of this while we all sit gripped watching it in our homes. Uh, Doctor, doctor, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Signal Boost podcast. We'll be back tomorrow with more news.